0: if you've been here in recent weeks, you know that we've been doing a short series looking at the one another's in scripture, trying to understand how they give some description of who we're called to be as God's people. What makes the body of Christ different than any other community that might exist in the world? Because as we talked about, you don't need God to build community. <laughs> there are plenty of examples where community takes place and it's not centered on Christ. Last night, we had our international student over for dinner. His name's Nadir. He's from India. Had a delightful time. Really enjoyed getting to know him and to spend time with him. And one of the things we asked him was, what's been one of the most challenging things for you having come to the United States? And really, without hesitation, he gave an interesting answer. He said, you know, in America, everybody is very independent. And he says, so it can get really lonely because everybody kind of does their own thing. He says, back at home, we spent a lot of time with family. And then he went on to describe who family was, which is much like what Jason just described. It was mom and dad, brothers and sisters, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, first, second, third. It was everybody. That was community. That was family to them. And he says, I miss that. I miss being with family. My point is that community can exist in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different cultures, and it doesn't necessarily have to center on Christ. And so our question to ourselves as we are walking through this together is then, what makes the church unique? What is unique about this body of Christ, this people of God? We began answering that question by looking at that unique quality of unity. These reconciled relationships that exist simply because of the redemptive work of Christ in our lives. So that the church should be a people who forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, who accept one another as Christ has accepted us, who love one another as Christ has loved us. And we talked about that love a a love that's unmerited, that's unlimited. And that's unconditional. That's the love we're called to have, one for another. And if that's the case, then I think it truly does distinguish who we are as a people of God compared to what normally happens in the world around us. We put the redemptive work of God on display through forgiveness, through acceptance, through love. Unconditional, unlimited, unmerited. And this morning we're going to talk about another quality that I think is like glue that holds unity and love together and that is the quality of humility. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. It's only fitting as we begin our time talking about this topic that we humble ourselves before you, our great God and King. Help us to humble ourselves enough to listen, to have ears that hear and eyes that see, to take the truth because we need the truth and we want it to change our lives. May we humbly come to your word this morning with that heart and mind. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I want us to look at a a verse together in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to begin with just this single verse, but there's a lot packed into it. So let's look at it together. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. (laughs) Like I said, there's a lot packed into that one single verse. As we've mentioned before, Romans 12 is like a a, a dividing line where you take all the truth that has been expounded in chapters 1 through 11. And then Paul says, this is how we should then live. This is how it should make a difference in our lives. And specifically here, this is how it should impact how we love one another. Since Christ has accomplished this for you, this is what you do for one another. And he says explicitly that we are called to love one another like family. In the first part of verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That word devoted is a Greek word phylostargos, which literally means family affection. So what Paul is saying is love each other like a family. So let's pause here and consider what that really means. What does it mean to love each other like family? Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Can you choose your family? Nope, this is not a membership where you sign up. You're born into a family, aren't you? All right, is your family perfect? The answer is no, it is not. In fact, does your family see your flaws more than anyone else? Absolutely. I can assure you that my sin has been exposed to my family like no one else has ever seen. But here's the deal. They love me anyway. Warts and all. Why? Because we're family. And we may go through some dark places, some very difficult times. Have, are, and will. But we're not going to give up on each other. We're not going to write anybody off. We're going to love each other to the very end. Why? Because... We're family. Paul takes that same imagery, that family affection, that family devotion, and then he applies it to who we are as a family of God in the church. We should have that same affection right here as brothers and sisters in Christ. Nobody's perfect, right? We've all got issues, right? And we still love each other, don't we? we should. Yes, we should. And here's the reality. Just like in our own family, there's going to be times where we'll walk through some difficult situations, some dark places. But because we're family, we don't give up. We don't write anybody off. We pursue them with a deep and devoted affection. Why? Because we're family. And that's what families do. Some of you may have this uh, plaque in your home. It's a pretty famous quote that uh, uh, people have put up as a family. It says this. It says, in this house, we do real, we do second chances. We do I'm sorry, we do grace. We play hard, we laugh a lot, we give hugs, we love. We are a family. Well, in the church... The very same thing should be true for us. We should be able to hang that plaque up in the wall right there in the foyer because that describes who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we are a family. Paul goes on to say that we give preference to one another in honor. That literally means outdo one another in honor. (laughs) It's the idea that I'd rather see you be honored than to take that honor for myself. And as a dad, I totally get this. There is nothing that brings more pride in my life than when my two boys are honored. There is no accomplishment that I have ever had that would even compare to the joy that I have in my two boys. You see, that's the same kind of, and love that we should have for one another, that there's no greater joy than when you see somebody else in this body being honored, being appreciated, being encouraged. Like a family, when you honor someone, you give them priority in your life. That's literally what it means. So this was put to test for me this weekend. Let me tell you how. <laughs> Terry had the women's retreat this weekend, which I understand was a, a wonderful time. In fact, one of the things that she said the first day, she said, we have such a great church family. <laughs> Just an evidence of the love that you have for one another. But she had that going on, and Grant had a birthday back in July. Graham was at work, and we realized as we got to talking, hey, your grandmother gave you a gift back in July for a game that didn't come out to the end of September. Oh, <gasps> it's October. You can get your gift. Let's do it. So we jump in the car. We had to target to go get his belated birthday gift. We get home. It's 2 o'clock, and I realize, oh, no. Grant's going to want to play his game, and the Texas Rangers are in a division championship. The Texas Tech Tech Red Raiders are about to kick off. What am I going to (laughs) do? And I'll tell you, it was painful. But I gave preference to my son. Because what, would I, what kind of a dad would I be if I said, hey, you've got to hold off on that birthday gift while I watch the game. No, I, I give preference. <laughs> give preference to one another in honor. You see, that's what we're called to do in our love for one another. We give each other priority, even if it inconveniences me. I'm called to give you priority in my life. Kerry told me a story this last weekend when we were at our elders' retreat, and he described a situation where a colleague of his at another university called him to tell him about an opportunity there at that university. He says, hey, Kerry, I know you. I know what you're able to do, and this seems like a great fit for you. He said, I really encourage you to apply and consider this opportunity. And Carrie said, you know, I really like what I'm doing here at the, at the Health Sciences Center. I, my family settled in. Um, I'm pretty good at where I'm at. And he says, no, you don't understand. The opportunities for advancement and the, the things that you can do for your career, you don't want to pass this up. And he says, no, you don't understand. He says, I'm a part of a church family. And uh, that's real important to me. So important then I don't want to consider anything until God has told me that I'm being called to leave this church family. The guy said, but you hadn't even asked me what the salary is. And Carrie says, it doesn't matter. This is my church family, and I'm not leaving. On a personal note, I loved what I was doing at UMC. I, I had a great career in health care. But you're my family. And no success in that field compares to the love that I have for you. You're my family. And so when we talk about what Paul is intending to communicate here, this is what he has in mind. It is a deep, devoted love for one another a love that that gives preference to one another that would rather see someone else honored than to to receive it for themselves that is inconvenienced and sacrifices for the good of the other that's the kind of love that we are called to have one for another (laughs) and you know what those examples that i just gave you they don't make a lot of sense to the world around us. The fact the guy that Carrie was talking to says, okay, do whatever, but that doesn't make any sense to me at all. And that's not surprising. But it should be what makes the church unique. (laughs) It, It should be what sets us apart from other communities that exist in the world around us. This is not a country club. This is a family. And we are devoted to one another in love, giving preference to one another And honor. But let's be clear, it comes with a cost. There's a sacrifice for this kind of love and commitment. So, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want us to look at this together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, is where we'll start. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says this. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and, and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I Started back in verse 18, because I wanted you to get the big picture of what Paul is communicating here. And and if we're honest, we look at this, and it's a little bit confusing, because Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you're thinking, what in the world does alcohol have to do with loving one another? Where does this fit in? I think Paul is telling us about this commitment of family love. I think he's clarifying the cost that is required. You see, when someone drinks too much, here's what happens. And just so you don't judge me, I want you to know this is not based on research. I've been there. And here's what happens. When people drink too much, they are typically trying to hide something or cover something, a hard time, a pain in their life. Or maybe they just want to relax and have a good time. But when alcohol begins to take over, the reality is you are no longer in control. Everyone knows that alcohol removes your inhibitions. So where you might have normally restrained yourself, now you throw caution to the wind, which is why that beer commercial is so, co- so appealing because it says what? Are you up for whatever? Yeah, that's what it happens. You're up for whatever. You end up saying things and doing things that you later regret because you're not in control. That's if you happen to remember what those things were the next morning when you wake up. You see, I've never once heard, not one time in my life, have I ever heard of a relationship restored in a drunken stupor. Never. But I'll tell you this. I've heard of countless examples where those same relationships were destroyed because of that. You say things. You do things. Because you're not in control. But I want you to listen to this. Being filled in the Spirit is actually very much the same thing, but in a different way. That's why Paul tells the Galatians, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Why? Why? Because being filled by the Spirit is what ultimately allows God to be in control. So instead of using hurtful words, you hold your tongue. Instead of fulfilling selfish desires, you sacrifice for the good of others. See, the cost of family love is self-denial. It's the decision to give up control and let God Lead the way. Now, you're still responsible because you have a choice to make. Allowing Him to lead assumes that you are choosing to follow. But ultimately, we need to understand that our relationships are protected only when this mutual submission exists. As we each surrender our lives to Christ and He, through His indwelling Spirit within us, teaches us how to love one another in ways that are foreign to our selfish, fleshly desires. Which I believe is the very same idea of what he was saying in Romans when he said, give preference to one another in honor. It's prioritizing the relationship, seeking the good of the other. It's a self-sacrificing love. And when we honor each other in this way, it brings glory and praise to God. Why? Why? Because it only happens when he's in control. Otherwise, I'm inclined to fulfill my selfish desires. That's why one of the most important qualities of what it means to be a people of God is the characteristic of humility. A willingness to serve one another. To give up for the good of someone else. And and the reason that we know this is so important is because it was the very heartbeat of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It describes his life. In fact, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at it together. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5. Listen to what he's telling us as it relates to the example of Christ. He says... Paul, writing to the Philippians, "...have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Understand this. Jesus is God. He has every right to rule and reign, to judge and condemn sin. But instead, he came to serve. Obeying the will of the Father to the point of dying on a cross. This is our example. This is what it looks like to humbly serve one another. Ultimately sacrificing for the good of another. So turn to Galatians chapter 5, and let's see how this plays out. Galatians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 13 together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul writing to the Galatians says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in, the one word, in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care, lest you be consumed by one another. The first thing I want you to notice is that your freedom in Christ can be used in the wrong way. You have a choice. That's part of the gift of your salvation. You can choose to be selfish. You can choose to let sin reign. Just like somebody who was imprisoned and has been released from prison, they have every ability to go right back to the lifestyle that put them there in the first place. And so do you. You have that choice, which is exactly why Paul says, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't choose to sin. Don't choose to use things for selfish gain. Let me be clear here. There's no neutral ground. If you are not actively pursuing Christ, submitting and surrendering your life to Him on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, then you are being led by the desires of the flesh and the influence of the world around you. It it's really is that clear. That's why our dependence upon Him is so important. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do all things, everything. But it requires a heart of submission and surrender. I think sometimes we fool ourselves. And we think that we have the ability to stand up against the influence of the world around us, so we go at it on our own. But don't be fooled. You're being led astray unless you submit and surrender day by day, moment by moment. I've asked this question before. I'll see if you've learned anything, so let me ask it again. Do you know what the opposite of love is? Sounds simple because you might think the opposite of love is hate, right? No, the opposite of love is indifference. Where I am only willing to... uh, Give something good to you as long as I get what I want. Indifference. I'll only obey when it aligns with what I really want to do in the first place. Indifference. The opposite of love is selfish indifference. It's a me first philosophy. And ultimately, it's what it means to turn your freedom that you have in Christ into an opportunity for the flesh where sin reigns. So here's the point. We do not serve one another unless we mutually submit our lives to Christ. If God's not in control, the flesh will have its way. No one is immune. That's why Paul says the whole law is ultimately fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. Or to put it in a different way, when you choose to love your neighbor more than you love yourself, when they have that priority, that preference in your life, then the very heart of the law is being fulfilled. Because the law is ultimately a reflection of God's love for us. It's ultimately a reflection of what we see in the life of Christ, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Paul tells us, through love, serve one another, just as Christ came and served us. So with that in mind, here's how I want you to apply this this week. Our small group just recently finished a study by Chip Ingram called Romans 12 Christian, uh, R12. We, uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't done this as a small group, if you're looking for something, it's a great study. What it means to be a Romans 12 Christian. Okay? And one of the things that he does is he kind of unpacks a statement that he makes in the beginning, and it's really good. So listen to what he says. Being a Romans 12 Christian is this. When the real you meets real needs for the right reason in the right way. That's what a Romans 12 Christian is. The real you meeting real needs for the right reason in the right way. He begins that study by unpacking the reality that this whole process begins with a sober self-assessment. Just like we talked about in communion, I'm not going to give grace to you if I don't first appreciate the grace and forgiveness that has been extended to me. And so I need to begin with a sober self-assessment. So here's how I want you to do that this week. I want you to look up Psalm 139. Okay? Go to Psalm 139. Just start in the beginning and throughout the week, just slowly, prayerfully work your way through Psalm 139. Uh, Allow God to use that Scripture to reveal what's in your heart it says search me O god and know my heart try me and see if there's any anxious ways in me ultimately i want to follow you so show me what stands in the way so allow that passage of scripture to work in your heart and if you do that you're going to see the places where you fall short and it's true for all of us so the question is then what do you do from there you see, when I grew up, my church tradition taught me to follow my confession with penance. And what that meant essentially is, however bad I did something, I needed to counter it with something good. And the worse I did, the more good things I had to do. And I am a list checker. So when I had a penance, I followed it. I mean, I did everything that I was supposed to do good to cover what I had done bad. But the problem was, it was never enough. I spent much of my young adulthood plagued in guilt because no matter how many good deeds I did, it could not remove the guilt. I was miserable. But not only that, where was all my attention? Me. What I needed to do to be right in the eyes of God. It it was self-focused. It was self-interested. So let me offer an alternative. Instead of penance, let me suggest this. Surrender. Surrender. Surrender your ability to do good. Surrender your ability to be good. Surrender your efforts to remove guilt on your own. (laughs) Instead, go to the throne of grace with confidence. Knowing that God promises to give grace and mercy in our time of need. Confess your sins knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness so that you might be found in Him having a righteousness not on your own based on good deeds but a righteousness which comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. His righteousness credited to your life. I want you to think about that. If that's what we truly believe doesn't that instill within us a tremendous freedom? I can receive and understand the forgiveness and grace that has been extended to me and I walk humbly in that so that I can then not focus on me and what I need to do right before God because He's already done that on my behalf. Now I get to focus on you. In love, serve one another. In humility, serve one another. If we are a family, that's what we do. We want to focus our attention on our love and honor to one another. So this week, start in Psalm 139. Ask God to examine your own heart. Then go to the throne of grace with confidence. Receive the forgiveness and love that He has. And then be motivated by that gift of grace to go and do the same for others. There may be some in our family that you need to chase. You need to go after Why? Because we don't write anybody off. We don't let anybody go. Because we're family. There are some that you just need to embrace. They're in a hard place. And you need to show love and grace and forgiveness. Not comparing yourself, because at least I didn't do what they did. But for the grace of God so there to go you. So be humble. Be gracious. Love one another. Let's be the family that God has designed us to be. Devoted to one another in brotherly love. Family affection. Amen? Let's pray. I think, God, if we are honest, uh, what we've talked about is fairly odd. Especially in our world today of individualism, independence, privacy. We don't want people in our business. But you've called us to live something distinctly different. A life that surrenders to you so that we can then serve one another. Opening our lives, sharing our hurts, being honest with our sins so that we can receive grace and mercy in a time of need, both from you and for those who are called by your name. Father, help us to have that devoted family affection one for another. And may it be in humility, not in pride or arrogance because I'm better than them, but because we have equally sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And But for the grace of God, thereto go I. So may we walk together with an intent to grow closer to you as we mutually submit and surrender our lives, wanting to you to be in control, the power of your spirit at work within us, giving praise and glory to your name from whom all good things come. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, and that many includes me. It's in his name that we pray.